1: You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Priority. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Murray Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. Mari's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly, Araldo, Montel, and lots of other shows. So to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kciorg slash privacypiracy. Evening, Mari.
2: Good evening. We have a wonderful guest tonight. This gentleman, uh, well, actually, I just finished his book, Zero Day Threat, The Shocking Truth of How Banks and Credit Bureaus Help Cyber Crooks Steal Your Money and Identity by Byron Akohito and John Schwartz. And I have to tell you, I've been so privileged to know Byron because he's actually interviewed me a couple times. And he is a tremendous journalist. He is just wonderful. Byron is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist with USA Today. And he is the author of Zero Day Threat. He has investigated the internet and internet security for USA Today. That's what he covers. He's the co-author of Zero Day Threat, the shocking truth of how banks and credit bureaus help cyber crooks steal your money and identity. While at the Seattle Times earlier in his career, he was awarded the 1997 Pulitzer Prize for Beat Reporting. He wrote important stories linking a dangerous defect in the rudder controls of Boeing 737 jetliners to a string of crashes that killed hundreds of people. Since joining USA Today, Okohito has led the paper's cutting-edge coverage of internet security and cybercrime. The New York State Society of Certified Public Accountants recently awarded he and his co-author, John Schwartz, the 2008 Excellence in Financial Journalism Awards for their newspaper stories about data theft and identity fraud. In 2005, the Society of American Business Editors and Writers awarded Acohito and Schwartz the Best in Business Award for projects by large newspapers, and they were named finalists in both the 2005 and 2006 for their prestigious Gerald Loeb Award for Distinguished Business and Financial Journalism. Byron Acohito has conducted numerous workshops on aviation safety, investigative journalism, and technology topics. To hear Mr. Acohito discuss the public's rising exposure to data theft and identity theft, please visit ZeroDayThreat.com. There you can see more about what he does in his book and listen to him. And we are so thrilled that Byron is joining us tonight from the beautiful Seattle area. Hi there.
0: Hi, Mari. Thanks for that overly generous introduction. Yeah. Oh,
2: it. you are just so wonderful. We really appreciate you. This book is terrific. I I have to read what Evan Hendricks has said. Evan has been on our show a couple times. He's the author of Credit Scores and Credit Reports. This is what he says about your book. A compelling journey through the zero-sum game of identity theft, where perpetrators and enablers ranging from meth heads to mammoth credit bureaus continue to pile up tidy sums, and victims are treated like zeros. What an ordeal to write this book. Well, it's it's been a labor of love. Yeah,
0: and Evan uh, Hendricks uh, his work on the history of the credit bureaus was one of the main uh, research materials that we used.
2: Yeah, that that was a great book and and you really brought that in and kind of honed it in in a very different way. So, why don't we talk about first of all what Can you tell me about what is zero-day threat? What does that mean?
0: Well, it's a tech term, but the context we're using it is to convey the idea that the general public has not even arrived at day one in terms of public awareness regarding this threat that there's a large organized cybercrime industry out there that's getting larger, and the larger it gets the more it exposes you or I to having our sensitive data stolen and used, and sort of the less we hear about it. And so the book just kind of tells how we arrived there over the last three or four years.
2: Tell us how you got into writing this book.
0: Well, John Swartz, the co-author, and myself are technology writers for USA Today. I cover Microsoft, and he covers uh, other tech companies. And back in 2003, I started writing about worms that were affecting Microsoft Windows operating system specifically the MS Blast worm that went around the world and uh John was writing about spam so I've my whole career I've been sort of a reporter that likes to go deeper down into the onion the yes. de- deeper layers so I just sort of we were sort of brainstorming and wondering there must be a connection between the two so we proposed a partnership to basically just do an open-ended investigation and produce stories so since that time we've probably done over 200 news stories including maybe 15 or 20 investigative cover stories which you've helped us with quite a bit for the newspaper and then you know a f- couple years ago maybe 3 years ago we decided that we can only go so far with the newspaper and that there's this very rich story about how uh, really a narrative true crime detective thriller about how all this stuff is evolving and how the the the, the economy of the cyber criminals work and how in fact their whole existence spins directly off what the banks have been doing for so long the banks and the credit bureaus and are now trying to accelerate by going on the internet
2: i was so glad that you wrote this because for years i've been saying that the financial industry including the credit bureaus and credit card companies and the banks have been facilitating this crime and. People keep, the, the banks and the financial industry keep wanting to push this crime on the consumers that they're not educated. It's their fault. They're falling victim to phishing and they're not protecting their personal data. But you brought out the truth, which I absolutely loved. I, I finished it last night and I went, oh my God, you know, I went and I did another anti spyware and anti virus. Uh, check on my computers just to be sure, because even though I do it every week, I thought, oh no, I did it Friday. I better start doing a whole update again and again, even though I run everything every night. Here I am, a little bit more savvy than most people, and I was terrified by your book. It was great. Let me ask you something. Because a lot of my audience might not even know really what a worm is, they know what spam is because they get it every day, but why don't you explain what a worm is?
0: Well, a worm, we're, we're well beyond worms, actually. So right. really what the problem is today, uh, is, and what people don't realize, is that you may have your firewall up and you may have antivirus up, but there's two ways, there's two giant open holes in your firewall. And basically it amounts to port 25, which is where the email comes in and goes out. Right. And port 80, which is where you go out into the Internet to go to a website, to go to a URL, a web page, right. where you get stuff back from that web page. So those are two gaping holes. So we're well beyond worms. We're to the point now where you can't really trust any link in a in, in, in spam that comes to you and tries to get you to click on it. And you can't really, it's getting to the point where you can't really trust, even trustworthy URLs, even USA Today. Uh, anything that a Google search result, because the bad guys are basically spreading infections there, and it, in effect, this is a worm, and this is how they do it. They they, they taint a uh, web page. They get you to go there by clicking on there. You get implanted basically a backdoor, a very simple program. Through that backdoor, they infect you. They turn you into a bot. Now your computer is, will help to, with other bots to spread spam, which gets more people infected. And meanwhile, they will also, as a matter of course, put a, put a program on there. It's referred to generally as a keylogger or a Trojan. Basically, they'll just start harvesting all of your sensitive data any time you go to a submit page. And, the, and all this stuff goes into a well-developed $100 billion a year market, so the data is not wasted. It's stored for use later. It's bought, sold, traded, put into financial scams. Uh, and all of this kind of circles back to the fact that the banking industry, with help from the tech companies, have taken a transaction system, you know, that was built in an analog world. It's built basically off mag credit cards right, and data that is assembled very rapidly and handled very loosely by the credit bureaus. And they've taken all the flaws from that system, which were acceptable when we weren't on the internet, and now they're moving that without even thinking about the ramifications onto the internet.
2: Right. For, for real fast profits. Let me step back a little bit because I've read your book and I know a little bit more than some people would who might be listening. So let's talk about what what's going on here? When you talked about a bot, mm-hmm. a bot is basically if somebody gets into my computer and starts controlling my computer, right? Correct. And they control my computer to make my computer do certain things, maybe to spread spam that looks like it's coming from me, and then it goes to people I know. Yes. Is, is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. So so if it, so if if I go to now help me understand this. So let's say I go to USA today to mm-hmm. to see one of your articles. Mm-hmm. Are you saying that when I go to that website um, and I look to make sure that the URL was correct, it was not a funny-looking URL, it really looked like usatoday.com, and I, I thought it was real that it might that, that might have a virus just going there? Is that what you're saying?
0: Uh, yes, that's a very common example. Well, let me preface it, and to be fair, that there's billions of web pages, right? Hundreds of billions. Right. So the vast majority probably are not tainted yet. Yes, but the bad guys are are all over this. They' first of all, it's starting with spam. You know, eighty um, percent of email, record percentage of email is spam. And most of that is fraud spam. Yes. And most of the fraud spam are trying to get you to click on the web pages that they have tainted. And they're doing it in a very systematic, organized, stealthy way, which is they will associate spam to whatever holiday we're having to pass by, right? I mean, right.
2: So, so right in the, the body of the email, they'll have a link that they want you to click on. Am I right, Byron? Correct. And then when you click on that, you've gone to you're one owned. of these websites that... Yeah,
0: you're, you're, you actually go to that website, but you're also owned. So...
2: As soon as I click on it, they own, they own me. I become one of their bots or, or I'm like a yes. zombie or something. Yes. And now, to make it even worse, that's just spam.
0: The other things they're doing now is they're, going, they're basically generally zeroing in on anything to do with Google search results. So that's how oh. if you put in the wrong keyword that they've focused on, like you pull in Dolly Parton was one recent example, uh-huh. you will get a USA Today page. And it'll take you there, but it will also, again, give you this little program. So you will get what you're supposed to get, but you will now also be owned. J- just to let you know how much this is happening.
2: Uh, you're scaring me. There are
0: 800 million PCs connected to the Internet. Yours and mine are among them, right? Right. On a typical day now, 40%, that's 320 million of those PCs Are already botted. You can go on. I can show you Mm. apps on the internet where you you can see these bots and what they're doing and how active they are. Another measure of their activity.
2: Well, well, let me ask you something. So, if there are that many computers that are being ruled by these bad guys, okay, as bots, um, do the people who own those computers know it? Will they Mm, know it?
0: Right now, most of them are consumer PCs on broadband, but but it's shifting to. Uh, corporate PCs, and the answer is generally no. But you will, but here, but you will notice in a way because it will affect your computer performance. But they're so smart about this that they try to minimize that. So they'll use, they'll, they'll, they'll know that your comp, that what your time zone is. So they'll use your computer always on when you're asleep,
2: right?
0: Um, or and they'll orchestrate it that way, or they'll put your computer to sleep if they don't need it right now and save it for later. And uh, so the, the bots and the botnets have become the tool of choice for doing all this, and that's one of the m- several key reasons why it's you know right now it's the law enforcement and regulators are unable to slow this thing down in any, in any you know meaningful fashion.
2: Now let me ask you something: When I run my anti-spyware uh-huh. and I run my virus protector, uh-huh. and I and I download. The most recent live updates. Uh-huh. Am I able to see if there's a bot there? I mean, will I know if I've become one of these zombies that's being controlled? Will I know that from my? No, from,
0: no, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the tech, the tech security guys, they can see this, but it's it. You know, like I said, the, the attackers are very sophisticated. I mean, they, they, there's there's big bucks behind us. so they they have the top. Uh, technicians uh, these these d- programmers that are working for the high level organized guys are the cream of the crop
2: and yeah the was, bad guys oh, are making money there cuz they can't make that much money out in the, in wearing a white hat right
0: yeah yep exactly and a lot of these guys at the head of these organizations are young they're in their early 20s that's another theme that we kind of hit on in the book is right
2: that, is yeah that, like socrates yeah
0: uh, oh socrates he's he's th- we're uh, actually kind of working on like a movie dramatization of the book, and we're playing with this team of two 20-something male characters, both digital natives, both who grew up with mouses and keyboards, you know, before at right. had a bike. But the guy in the West, he's from the rich part of the world, right? So he does video games and does meth, and eventually he sort of becomes, you know, a key operator for helping them get the money out. But the the guy in the, the guy in the East, the guy in the Ukraine or St. Petersburg, He's like a young Don Corleone. He sees this right. opportunity. So he what has he been doing the last three or four years? not playing video games. He's been, he's been setting up major organizations that are, you know, tied into the power structure in the Ukraine and in, in Russia. And, and that's actually factual. I mean, you know, maybe that's the next book.
2: Right. Or the movie, essentially. Oh, I know. I mean, I... Let's talk about how you set up this book because it's it's such an interesting way that you've got these these three categories of of. Why don't you talk about that? It's just amazing. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. it was
0: the problem. It was it was to solve a problem, which the problem was there's a lot of moving parts and it's complicated and people's gla- eyes glaze. My editor's eyes glaze over. So what well, we I we tried six different ways but what we came up with was to divide the book into three threads and to keep coming back in each chapter to three threads
2: right right one
0: you know being the crooks which we call the uh what do we call them the exploiters right and so those are the young guys who are actually doing this taking advantage of the system but our thesis is they're not really to blame because they're just doing what crooks are doing would, would do normally. They're
2: taking advantage they're of an. Taking easy, advantage. Yeah, they, I mean that's that's the whole point of why the financial industry is facilitating this is they're just making it so easy for these predators, these right. exploiters. So yeah. So the the financial community
0: we call the enablers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yep. they enable this stuff, right, for the reasons we just discussed, right. which you well know. Yeah. Because they're trying to speed up the transaction system, they're trying to speed up the credit issuing system, which they have. We yes. now, uh, as of March, U.S. Uh, household revolving debt, credit card debt, is nine hundred fifty-seven billion dollars. Right, seven hundred just five years ago.
2: And their and, and in their quest for 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 quick uh, quick money,
0: quick money, quick okay. transactions, yeah. Right? Visa, right, and that's in the, we kind of make fun of the commercial where life takes Visa. Right, right, right. But in doing that, you know, these enablers also enable the bad guys, because now, even though they have the technology to stop, to spot bad transactions, like the guys in the end of the book that are running around Miami, Right. Like one credit card number and coming out of Walmart with $24,000 worth of gift cards. Oh,
2: yeah. You had talked about, <laughs> and there was another one that had even more than that. Of, of those gift yeah. cards, unbelievable! They could just go in and use these fake cards that they download somebody's credit card number and the mag stripe, and then they don't even have the same name on the front of the card, and they right. and and that. You know, somebody can just use your credit card
0: yeah, number. All, all that starts with data that is stolen. You know, and, and, and use of the internet to steal that data to begin all this.
2: Like TJ Maxx, you talk about it. That a lot of that came that is, from yeah. TJ Maxx.
0: That is that that was the starter. It was the TJ Maxx, Maxx uh, data heist. Yes. So back to the threads. That's enablers are the banks who right. and the transaction system and the. Um, What's the third? Enablers? Expedi- uh Oh, the expediters.
2: Expeditors, yes.
0: Who help are the tech companies, or the techies, I should say. So we kind of rolled in the good guys and the bad guys. We rolled Bill Gates in with Socrates, sort of as not not Socrates is more the crooks, but with, with some of these hackers that have developed um, the viruses and have developed. Uh, the bots, everything that led up to the bots that we now know of and the viruses we now know of. We kind of roll all of them up into the expedited because they're doing the technology. They're actually, see, the, the and even as we got to the end of the book, what we're seeing now, and most of your listeners m- will recognize the phrase Web 2.0, right? Right. iSpace, social networking, YouTube, video, uh, interactive phones, you know, thats all, anything to do with the Internet that we're moving toward is Web two O. Well, it turns out that Web 2.0 goes out through port 80. It go. You have to go out to the internet and come back. So that's where the bad guys are now focusing on. They're focusing on when you go to a web page, you will get the basic infection, and then from there, they will they will make it very hard to notice that you are infected and your data is being harvested.
2: Oh my God! So. So, especially, isn't Web2 a lot of that interactive stuff on the Internet? Isn't that where we're going as well with the web Yes, tool? and, you know, we have,
0: the, we have this story in the book about uh, MySpace, the silly, silly yes. worm. Well, that was the breakthrough worm because MySpace was the preeminent, or it still is in a way, example of of a Web 2.0 social networking, you do right. your own profiles. You you know you control your own environment in there, and mm-hmm. advertisers can get to you. What, and it all is based on this Web 2.0 technology. Well, I think it was a 19-year-old kid came along and wanted right. uh, see if he could become the the guy with the biggest buddy list. Right. So he very easily <laughs> was able to tweak to do a to do a worm. This is another definition of worm. To do a thing where if you clicked on his profile, it infected you; the the worm infected you, and then went to everybody in your buddy list, right? And encouraged them to click on the infected, you know, the tainted link. So,
2: and then didn't he add something ah. at the end that said, you know, I love him or something? Right, and then <laughs> and then he, and then. He, it,
0: It's kind of like, you know, a raspberry. You'll also get this notice from him that you're now on his buddy list.
2: Right, right. So he became the most popular guy. He didn't make any money off of it. No, no. no. It was just a fun thing. He he got popular.
0: Guess what? That became the basis for a whole level of attacks that we're now seeing, including the attacks that are all off of uh, what's known as video codec. Basically, all the stuff you see on YouTube. Yes, uh, you can't trust those either.
2: Oh my goodness! They are
0: that, that, that's a that's a huge new vector for them. It basically, spins off what this MySpace guy did.
2: So how do we how do we keep our computers safe from that kind of stuff? If you're saying to me that hey, you know your anti spyware doing you know spybot isn't going to help you, your antivirus software that you run isn't going to help you, uh-huh. and what's going to help to protect uh, you?
0: It will, it, it will help you a little bit. Uh, the way I, I put it is you can make yourself less of a target by reducing your digital footprint. So the first, it's kind of like a three step process. You need to do your antivirus and anti-spyware. That will protect maybe 20% of you, 20, 20% of the protection you need. Uh,
1: uh, only but, 20%. The next,
0: <laughs> but also, here's the other part that, 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 that the expediters aren't, are in denial about for self serving reasons. You need to do all your updates, not just from Windows that sends, you, sends them to you very nicely and convenient to, to, to Windows Update, but from Apple's iTunes and from Adobe Flash. All those things that come, do you want the next version of iTunes? The bad guys are now attacking and, and you know, corrupting anything to do with iTunes for so that same reason so they can bot you. And Apple is trying to keep up with the patches. But they're not telling you that they're security patches. So if you're like me, you go, oh. well, my iTunes works fine. I don't need any more bells. And
2: right, wo- right. Yeah. I don't want to have somebody that I have to Download. learn a new program. I want my music, right.
0: Right. So, but they're not telling you that that's a security update. So you must do all your security updates from anybody whom you have an, uh, an application. And for most people, that'll be... Apple, and...
2: Uh, Adobe, yeah. yeah. And then also
0: use Mozilla. Do not use Internet Explorer. Microsoft's working really hard to catch up and make it more secure, but it's the most atta- widely attacked uh, browser, and Mozilla is, at this point in time, is doing by far a better job in terms of basic security. And in right. fact,
2: So you need to make Mozilla your, your primary oh, browser.
0: Right, Mozilla Firefox. Most people will know it as Firefox, and there's they're just about to come out with... Firefox 3 which will actually add another level of it it, it, it will add uh, malware detection it'll actually if, if it, it'll go to the list of known bad web pages and and it won't let you go there it'll put up a red page say, oh. oh here but I mean that's but you know that it's not a silver bullet but it's right. detection.
2: section you know oh because my. the
0: bad guys are always developing new tainted Web pages, and the third thing you need to do—the highest level of all—is to ask yourself this question after you read my book: Do you really want to do online banking? Do you really want to do online stock trading? Yes. Buying your airplane ticket? Yes, I still do that. And the sort of the, you know, uh, uh, buying books? Yes, because
2: you're using a credit card.
0: Yes, and the the bank will, who are also in denial about the scope of this problem. If you send them an aff- if you keep track of, of a, somebody ripping off your account, they will give you a new card and and they will won't make you pay for it, right? They won't right. even make you pay fifty dollars. But you right, the credit them. cards, yes. So actually, that's one of the best protections you can use is just use your
2: regular credit-, credit card. And you agreed with me. We we I saw in your book, and I was so glad to see that you said never use your debit card. Oh, right,
0: because that's your money, not the bank. Yeah,
2: exactly. In fact, never even let the bank give you a debit card. I had to fight with them. You know, they automatically send it to you and you know, you know why they do that, Byron, is because they make their money immediately. If you use a debit card, they have to wait 30 days. If you use a credit card, right? Yeah. So, so it was like another one of these uh enabling things <laughs> is to say, "Hey, just uh we want your money immediately." Well, if if they can get your money immediately, uh so can the uh the fraudsters.
0: Right? All right. And then out the, up, on the other end, when, when, when they hijack your online debit account and take yes. money out of your debit, your checking yes. account, yes. that's your money. That's your $2,000. Right. So if you don't remember to check on this or, or you don't resolve it in 60 days, you may never get it back.
2: Right. And, you, and you lose money after two days.
0: Right. Yeah. And what if it's the two days when your rent check is, is about to clear right. you know, your mortgage check and your two thousand dollars not there? Right.
2: And if you're doing online banking with with other companies and you pay all your bills and none of those bills get paid or or you're you know writing checks, everything bounces. So, yeah, you're you're really up the creek. This is why you should never, anybody listening to this, if you have a debit card, you're crazy. Cancel it and tell them you only want a regular ATM card that you can use to take cash out of an ATM machine or that you can travel to another country and take cash out or you can put you know money into the bank. But never use a debit card. I don't even have one. And I, I had to fight with the bank to stop sending me every year a debit card. I have to tell them I'm cutting it up. Send me a regular ATM without the Visa Mastercard logo and you know that's another thing when you talk about the enablers they don't tell you about how you can be how your money can be siphoned out of the account by these fraudsters right
0: no and the fundamental problem is that the banks do sort of cost benefit analysis on how much to devote to security and how much public awareness to do And right now, they do not uh, assign a very high premium to the risk that you and I are taking. No. It's a low premium because nobody's complaining about it. And most people don't even realize it. Like I said, we're in zero-day awareness here. Nobody really knows about it or says anything about it. They just accept what comes their way. And, okay, I'll take another credit card number and send you the affidavit. Right. I mean, that's what people need to be doing is they need to start saying, wait a minute, you, you know, when you hand your card over to the merchant, say, "Are are you? Is this going to be a secure transaction?" Yes. If you get ripped off, call up and don't just accept it. Say, "I'm moving. I'm changing, and I want to let somebody know that I'm concerned about my security and I'm thinking twice about using your bank." Uh, banks, you know, the the North American banks have been way behind Europe in terms of, uh, you know, going to smart cards or, or third level of quote inconvenience in order to use the card.
2: Yes, you talk about authentication, and and right now, when we have just giving our name and our username and our password, that is not the kind of authentication that they use in in the the European countries, right? Don't they have two-level authentication?
0: Yes, it's much more widespread, and there's many different forms, and you have to go through an actual step. Uh, You know, you have to have the device or the card, right? Like a
2: thumb, a thumb drive, or something that you put in, or a thumbprint. Yeah, like you, you're, you have to know your username, you have to know your password, and then you have something else in your hand. Now, if if the fraudsters only have your username and password through log, key logging software, uh-huh. then if you have, if you have to use a third item that you have with you, they can't, they can't steal. Then can they? Unless they get that item.
0: Um. Well, yes, they can. Oh, they can. Well, unfortunately, they've already like <laughs> they're so far ahead.
2: Oh gosh. I'm I'm gonna go crying here in a second. <laughs> they don't even. I mean, it, username and password still work, so they're still doing it. You know. The right, but Harvard, I mean, if they had to have two-level authentication, if they had to have, you it know, w-
0: it wouldn't. The, it wouldn't stop the guy. The, the,
2: the bad, bad guys, guys on the
0: cutting edge. The bad guys on the cutting edge are doing banking trojans, and you know what? Banking trojans. They don't even need. Your username and password. These are very sophisticated programs. So, the same way they get on your hard drive, they get the back door open to make you a bot. Instead of putting a key log- logger on you, they put a banking Trojan. This banking Trojan knows what the 250 top banks' uh, web pages are, and it, w- and it waits and it watches until you sign on on your bank. Yes. And then it does a, a, a ghost transaction behind you for a, usually a small amount, so hopefully you won't notice for a while and boom, your money's gone.
2: Okay, so how do they get into your account if they don't know your password and they don't know your... They're on your oh, machine. You...
0: They just wait till you actually log on to your... Oh, bots.
2: okay. So, so what they're doing, they're waiting till you log on, and then you log on for them.
0: Yes, and they, oh, and, and they operate while you're on. It's all automated. It's all okay. done by bots. <laughs> this is, let me throw this statistic at you. I on at RSA, which, uh, which is the big, huge Super Bowl of... Security conferences in San Francisco it was in April this year. Right. And I was in a conference where uh, F Secure was talking about banking Trojans. They've done, there's a Denmark security company. And uh, they put up this chart, and I'm looking at it right now. And it says here in uh, March 2008, they counted 16,755 different banking Trojans that are attacking the top 250 banks. Okay, sixteen thousand, almost seventeen thousand. That's up from uh, January two thousand six. Eighteen months earlier, there were only three thousand three hundred.
2: Okay, so so you're you're such a great techie, but I'm I'm such a dummy. I got to ask you a question to clarify. So, the Trojan, if, if I think of like a Trojan horse, it, it yeah. hides, it hides, right? I mean, it. But what happens? It goes into the banking portals, or does it go into the consumer portals? Oh, it's
0: usually sitting on your hard drive, usually on your browser. That's why you should use Firefox browser.
2: Okay, I'm changing tonight. I can <laughs> tell you that. Okay, so so what it sits on my browser and waits. It came in through some email or spam.
0: Yes, and it's not, no, no, no. It came in through the ways we discussed earlier. Usually, okay, like you clicked on the wrong web page, or you, okay, you, you opened the spam. Yeah, spam, and you, you know, you got a April Fool's spam. Click on this joke, and you clicked on it, and you saw the joke, but the joke's on you, right? Right. Or or,
2: yeah, and and we get these stupid things all the time, right? We get it. Our friends pass it on to us too, right? We get these silly
0: jokes. This is actually true. Alicia Keys, who's a pop singer, I don't know. Right,
2: right. I know who she is.
0: Her, uh, I think it was her YouTube video, her MySpace, one of the her YouTube video got corrupted. So if you, uh, you know, clicked
2: on that to see
0: it. Now there's banner ads there, and this is the next thing that's coming up. You never know which banner ad that appears might be tainted. And if you click on it, um, you're owned.
2: Right, right. And so then, well, let's go back to this banking thing This you're scaring me to death. I never click on banner ads. I never click on URLs in the, you know, none of that stuff. But, But let's say that it was one of these little Trojan horses or whatever was sitting on my browser, and then I go... And it's not really key logging though, is it or is it? Is it like a key logger And we should explain to my listeners that a keylogger is software that gets into your computer that can watch what you're typing in, right?
0: Yes yes.
2: okay so are these bank Trojans are they sending are they really key loggers?
0: They're, no, they're not a keylogger, but they're in effect the same category of malicious program that's sitting on your hard drive. they're, okay. they're, they're a higher level. Key oh, higher
2: level. Okay, so. You don't even need your
0: keystrokes. They, <sighs> just, they just sit back and wait to, and it's watch. Like, and is it like you. a
2: flea on my dog? It just jumps wherever my my dog goes? <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, that's good, yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to, you know, make it real understandable for anybody who's listening to this because i got to ask you. Uh-huh. where did you learn to be such a techie? Was that before you started tech writing, or did you just no. become brilliant from doing all this tech? No, I'm not,
0: I'm not brilliant at all. In fact, <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I was covering aerospace for 13 years when I moved over to USA Today. Right, right. I had to learn all this stuff, which is good. I think it's good when you come in cold and have to ask a lot of simple questions. Cause like
2: I'm doing with you. That's
0: <laughs> yes, exactly right. You right. oh. really learn how it works. Which, and, then, and then you have to explain it to other people.
2: So. Yeah, that you can I guess if you can ask stupid questions like I am for you, you know, then everybody else who's listening <coughs> is starting to understand Sorry. as well. you know. So so okay, so let's get back to this. So then I have this on my computer. I have this bank Trojan, and it kind of jumps on my back and follows me in. And then while I go in to do my banking, Mm-hmm. What does it do? It just siphons the money out of my account. Yes,
0: it'll. It, what the, they could take it all, but the, usually what they're doing is they're taking, you know, a, a small amount or a comparatively small amount, so they can do it over and over until you figure out that's what they're doing. But yeah, they're getting. It's in the at least the tens of millions that they've already, you know, that tech companies like F Secure have documented that they've already stolen.
2: You know, I got a call about um oh about a week and a half ago from a guy similar to one of the stories you had in your book he um he went he he found out that from his securities account a hundred thousand dollars was was stolen you know basically the money was the 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 um the stock was sold and the money went to somebody else right. and um and they told him. That they had no liability because they figured that there was a keylogger on his computer, and so they had no liability. And that sounded very much like the story that you covered. Why don't you tell that story so people can learn this while we're here?
0: Right. Uh, yeah. I. My, I would guess that that victim. Yes. Probably had a small business online banking. Yes.
2: Yes. He did
0: loophole. So yeah, small. B-
2: Actually, no. It was from his. Yeah, it was from his home computer.
0: Right, but he he probably he probably has a small business right account, and that's the account that got ripped off because it wasn't a, loop- a business
2: account. It was his. It was his uh, securities account. I don't know if it. I think it was a e trade account. Oh really? Yes.
0: So yeah, there's some loophole in there that if that you're responsible for the security of your uh. You
2: know, your own computer
0: computer that connects to the system, I know there's a loophole like that for small businesses so, yeah, there's, so
2: so how can we, as small business owners like I am, all right, or or regular consumers when we're using the internet and we have securities? A lot of my friends do their e-trade accounts online. All right. How can we be you know expected to protect ourselves? Is that realistic?
0: Well, that's why I, you know, I asked That's one of the questions I would ask. Do you really want to do online banking or online securities trading? Because it's 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 another thing that the high level bad guys are doing uh, is targeting online trading securities accounts. They've done one several rounds already, and now what they're what they're doing is, and this part of this goes back to spam where they ask you to buy a penny stock or they encourage you to buy it now. Right. So they're trying to drive up the price of stocks that they own to manipulate the price. Um, and then they're, that's just one scam, you know. And then they'll break into your account and then use your account to to basically to cash out, you know. They'll, right, they'll, they'll sell the your stock
2: and then send the money to another account. Right, right. Right. So, but, you know, when you say, Mari, you know, do you really want to do online banking? Well, I think it's safer in, in you know for not for securities I don't think but when you're checking your online banking like when you're when you're paying your bills instead of sending a check in the mail you know how unsafe a check is all you do is need the the checking account number and the routing number and somebody can go to office depot and make up new checks and we hear this all the time. Uh-huh. We had a methamphetamine addict on my show who said that she made 200000 a year just making up new checks with people's routing number and account number. So, you know, it's not safe to do that either.
0: No. Uh, that's kind of a... It's a... No, that is a... You know, the, the physical fraud is kind of a known quantity. I mean, it's gotten worse with the meth plague over the last 10 years. But it right. is sort of a known quantity. The... The internet just scales everything up because the bad guys don't have to leave their keyboard, you know, and they have this whole uh, ecosystem of specialists that are basically doing two things: one is harvesting data, yes, and two is putting that harvested stolen data to use in various financial fraud, and all of this is enabled and scaled up by the internet. So that's the difference. It's a very high... And then the other thing is they're doing it in... The Internet is good for uh, anonymity, and it's good for distributed communications right? and transactions, but not secure right. transactions. That's <laughs> right. the point. Uh, it's just scaled up tremendously, and they're able to do it without much fanfare. It's flying very low under the radar, and the banks and the tech companies at the moment are in complete denial about it because they don't want to admit it they want to promote web 2.0 they want to promote more use of the internet
2: right right because the the profit is not as big as the I mean is much more than the loss. let me introduce you again we are speaking with a wonderful journalist Brian Acojito who is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist for USA Today he is also the author of this book that I just finished last night that if you're listening to this you're gonna to have to read it it's called zero day threat the shocking truth of how banks and credit bureaus help cyber crooks steal your money and identity It's such a great book it just had me I, I you know I read it over the holiday weekend and and then I had to finish it last night it's so wonderful Byron let me get back to this online banking and you and I have talked about this with many many people um, there are many of the victims who have contacted me in the last couple of years who never did online banking. yet they found out that money was wired or, or online banking was set up in their name without their knowledge.. Uh-huh. Okay? so so even if you say to me, Mari, you know, think twice about doing online banking, well, if I don't do online banking, someone will do it for
0: me. Well, yeah. Well, that that's again gets back to the fact that your data was stolen, and then somebody is now using your data um, to take advantage of the fact that the credit bureaus handle data very loosely and are basically thumb their nose at you if you try to make corrections. I mean, that you, you you've dealt with that. Sure, absolutely. With that whole system, it, it's that whole dynamic now being scaled up again on the internet
2: but let's go back to banks because that hasn't really you know getting my information isn't really um, like how they're necessarily getting into my bank account okay Mm -hmm. with my credit cards yes but Mm -hmm. actually my bank account so so if I use the internet to search Mm -hmm. and I don't even do online banking how are they getting into my account are they just seeing a check that i might have used is that what they're doing and then they're they're using that to to get into the accounts and transfer money to other people how are they doing that do you know
0: well there could be alternative ways i mean we haven't even we've been, i've been talking just about the internet to keep it simple but because the internet is there and because this cyber economy is in place that has increased demand for data stolen data from whatever source. So we haven't even talked about the fact that there's a huge drive to uh, steal data directly from major sources. So if you go to, uh, you know, if you look at the number of incidences of hospitals, of government agencies, of universities, and of companies that have been actually had laptops ripped off or had right. data leaving out the back door or storage tapes falling off the back of the truck.
2: Right, almost 230 million uh, data files have been stolen. Yeah, and those exactly. are only the ones that are reported publicly.
0: <laughs> yes, this is a conservative number, like the 24. Every single uh, military person of active duty or retired status is already, their data is already out there. Right. Because of the Veterans Administration hack. Sure. Uh, two years ago. Every single user of the United Kingdom uh, social services is already owned because they got hacked earlier this year, yeah, the end of last year. they got right, hacked 25 right. million uh, accounts. And that's just two examples. Like I said, they're, they're just there's just this you know t- tremendous uh, criminal economy to steal your data. And the, and the really scary thing about it to me, re- the, the more that I cover this, is that the bad guys use data and technology the same way as the good guys. So, do you think that this data—they're not even using a all, but a, they're just using a small fraction of the data right now to do the level of financial fraud that they're doing. So, we're, what are they doing with the rest of that data? Are they just throwing it away? No, they're, they're storing it. Away. Yeah, they're storing. Really, they're it. storing it on these bots. You know, because these bots are. Putting uh-huh. it around, storing it, they'll, they'll find these mothership bots that, uh, that Okay, are so used
2: what's a mothership bot? I know a bot is when you take over somebody's computer who's innocent.
0: Well, yeah But it, a mothership
2: it, bot is that like a big, big bot? I mean, is it well, a big no, company or what is it? It's
0: it's it's a it's a compromised computer in a business or university or. Okay. It's a, it's a it's a it's a server computer sitting in the Russian business network or in China that yeah. uh, is untouchable. And so when the bots go out and harvest data, they send it to the mothership. So
2: and then they just have a, an endless amount of, of data to use to steal our identities.
0: Right, and it's being sorted and packaged and sold and saved and
2: yeah um, shared or traded yeah. for, <laughs> traded for drugs. You yeah. know, um, when you're talking about this, there was recent studies by all these. Uh, the financial industry saying that even though we've had all these security breaches, it's only amounted into a small amount of identity theft. What do you say to that?
0: I say, ask uh, ten of your friends. <laughs> uh, do you know? Have you been a victim of any form of identity theft, or do you know anybody, or have they? Do you know anybody from their circle? Do your own test. You know, I mean you know it's like the political season it's, it's you have experts and surveys to tell you whatever you want exactly
2: exactly well how about you know the ftc did a study that came out last in 2007 and, and this is the same every year but basically they found out that 58% of victims haven't a clue how their identity was stolen not a clue mhm and so that goes to show you that, hey, wait a minute, there's a disconnect here. What, what are people stealing this data for, just to steal it? I mean, they have, obviously, they're stealing it for money. So, you know, I don't buy that either. You know, when they say, oh, the financial industry says only only a small sliver turns into identity theft, like Choice Point, remember?
0: Yes, and we, we talk about ChoicePoint Point in the book. So yes. In the case of ChoicePoint. Point, they were the first uh, choice point for your listeners. Is a major uh,
2: data broker.
0: Yeah, da- data broker. They're they're one of the big ones, along with LexisNexis, Axiom, and there's some others. So Although they,
2: LexisNexis recently bought ChoicePoint too.
0: Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah,
2: they they just acquired them. So this is now they're a mega mega data broker.
0: Right, and these guys are just like the credit bureaus in in that they handle your data in a loose loose fashion in an automated fashion driven to sell you know basically data dossiers they're basically like credit reports except they're everything about yeah
2: your background check they tell you even about criminal stuff stuff that is not necessarily on your on your credit report it's all about other things about you
0: right and they're not very careful about mixing and matching things so the, that's another way that the bad guys can take adva- they can take, they are taking advantage of that too. right Create uh, synthetic IDs and so forth, but they lost uh, in our in our research for this book. We focused on them because ChoicePoint was the first uh, um, publicly reported, yeah, to come under the purview of the California disclosure law, the breakthrough law. I think it was ninety-five pushed I through by Senator Joe uh, hmm. It
2: actually was. Um 2003 it became effective mm-hmm. but then the but 2005 is when choice point disclosed in February of 2005 that was the first one that was publicly disclosed yeah, yeah
0: so we actually found the 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 we call him Mr O in the book
2: right the Nigerian hollywood that, who yeah.
0: was was tapping away and pulling down data from choice point by by passing himself off as a collections company, upstart's collections company. Right. He's paying for all this with stolen credit card numbers. And at the end of the day, Choice Point admitted to losing 163,000 Californians' information to this guy. But in the investigation and in the court case, the number 4 million was closed. Yes.
2: Right. I remember you said that the uh, detective went on the witness stand, and he said that he heard from the Choice Point Insiders that it was 4 million data uh, subjects. Incredible. Yeah, Incredible. We, had,
0: we had to dig and scratch to get that, to flush that out.
2: So wow.
0: We heard about it, and we had to go, go get it. So, again, who do you believe? Are you going to believe surveys and check the <laughs> course of the surveys? Or are you going to just you know, think for yourself and look around and well, I
2: think the other thing that you did that was so great is you, you went in when you talked about what law enforcement was saying, what they were doing in their investigations and what they're coming up with. Why is it so hard for them? I mean, it is really overwhelming for these guys in law enforcement.
0: Well, yeah, it's, it is overwhelming because in a lot of these countries, there are not even laws to prevent some of these crimes that uh, are taking place. And then you get the whole uh, geopolitical, you know, separation And just in the U.S. alone, you know, there's competition between the various federal agencies, but the guys that they're catching here, it takes so long to catch these guys, and they're only, you know, they're operatives on the fringe, basically, the real top of the food chain uh, that we know of is operating out of Russia and China, although um, there's an interesting notion that we want to investigate next is, you know, is there any sort of organized crime element that is operating very quietly off U.S. soil? It would make sense that there is, and there's a few indicators that it might be. But Yeah.
2: No. I mean, they go for the money, right? Yes.
0: It's a perfect business, so, you know.
2: Yeah, you're not going to get caught very easily. I, You know, I, law enforcement has told me about 10% of the cases are ever even prosecuted. are ever even investigated, and of those that are investigated, only 10% are ever prosecuted. Uh But, you know, another thing that you talk about, and I think is really important that that I heard from the DA, is they tell me that the insider threat, all right, is like two-thirds of identity theft really comes from the insider threat in, in corporations and businesses. What do you think about that?
0: Well, I'm not sure what they're measuring i mean i I believe it's a huge uh attack uh approach because uh the corporations and the businesses and the universities have not really thought about this so who um,
2: who are they hiring you know if if you're a fraudster, what better thing to do but to go and work for a company that you can get access to information and sell well, it on yeah. the outside right?
0: Yeah, it's basically there's a huge fundamental problem, which is that data is not treated like an asset. Right. So you have, you know, virtually anybody in a – too many people have access to too, too much sensitive data. Too much sensitive data is collected for no good business reasons, just for overkill reasons. And then so now you're introducing the problem of storing it, keeping it over a long period of time. So this is a huge privacy question, much less a security question and the in you know businesses are starting to wrestle with this now but it's not it's it's got a long way to go before they resolve it basically what has to be done is data any data from you or me has to be treated like gold and then you have to make business decisions about when you collect it how you collect it how are you going to store it who has access to it and how are you
2: going to protect it how are you going to
0: protect <laughs> it
2: exactly
0: and those that has not discussion isn't is just starting to happen and needs to play out a little more. My whole theory on this, which is based on my whole career as a journalist, is that real change is not going to start happening until the public demands it, and the public can't demand it if they're not aware of it. So that's the bottom line. Joe. I'm just trying to do my part to create public awareness.
2: And that's exactly what I was going to say. Is thank God for you, Byron, because because of your articles people are able to see what is really going on how about the lawmakers have you have you sent your book to any important lawmakers like Diane Feinstein or some of the others who have been trying to lead some of the legislation
0: uh yes we've been my co-author John has had a lot of connections with them, and, you know, we got a lot of help from Joe Semidian, the local guy from California. Oh,
2: he's great. We've had him on the show a couple of times. He's wonderful.
0: But it's just, you know, it goes with the political winds on the federal level, and right now, uh, and we write about that, about the, you know, the credit freezes and the huge resistance to.
2: Oh, Yeah. I remember I remember when they fought us here in California. We were the first state to have a security freeze. And I don't know if you know this, Byron, but when I was a victim back in 1996, um, I ended up testifying in the California legislature and the Senate Banking Committee, and I said, we need to have something to freeze up and lock up where I need to have a password, that nobody can get my credit report without a password. And I remember fighting them on that way back in 1998, which we didn't even get the security freeze, I don't think, until 2002.
0: Well, (laughs) uh, I think think generally what's happened is, you know, until such time as our uh, approach to federal government changes, the change that's demanded by the public is going to come through the states. And California has clearly been... You know, way out front on on data uh, loss disclosure and yes. on freezes and and and, and security breach law. law.
2: We had the security first security breach law. We've had a lot of those. The problem is this is that we're seeing in the federal legislation they're trying to preempt state law.
0: Which exactly. We, yeah, it's yeah. Current, you know.
2: And they're trying to basically put handcuffs on us to To keep us from doing it, but thank yeah,
0: God. It's done, in such an, it, it's done in such a way that really is insidious, you know, and it's insulting, really, to and the total disservice to the general population. I mean, it's it's so clearly motivated by protecting the current status quo interest, and you know, the current setup for the credit bureaus. And the credit bureaus has ha, they have a huge, huge curve of reform sitting in front of them, and I think. You know, you just listen to those commercials about, hey, I'm a pirate, and why don't you buy, I'm working here because my ID got stolen. And right. Got credit.
2: <laughs> Stupid that's stuff. That's
0: Experian. That's Experian trying to sell you twenty fifteen dollars a month subscription to a credit monitoring service that doesn't really protect you. All they're doing is turning on a switch on your credit report to tell you if anybody has to. Is that, you
2: know, yeah, if somebody's Information. Trying. Right. And
0: meanwhile, they're creating the problem. They're I know. They get you you, coming. And then they're you around, trying, to, and they're actually making three hundred million plus dollars selling these things to you, which yes.
2: are
0: worthless. I so would, I would, a, I
2: would never get um, credit monitoring from the three credit bureaus because also, if you look at their credit monitoring, their privacy notice tells you that once you sign up for their credit monitoring, you give up your right to sue, and you have to only go through arbitration, which takes away all the great rights that you have under the Fair Credit Reporting Act. But Lloyd is telling me we are just at the end right now. You are wonderful. I want everyone to read this book, Zero Day Threat, by Byron Okohito and John Schwartz. Byron, you are wonderful. We're going to have to have you back again, especially for some of your new upcoming books and articles. You're terrific.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Mari. So
2: are you. Okay, well, we will talk again soon. Thank you so much for all you do, and let's get this book into the hands of all these legislators and talk about it all the time.
0: Okay, sounds good to me. Good yeah.
2: night. You've been Bye. listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, your host, and Lloyd is my great engineer. Please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy, see our upcoming guests, and listen to our archived interviews and download podcasts join us next Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. Thank you.
0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.
2: Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and kuci.org on the net. We air every Wednesday afternoon from 5 to 6 p.m. And I'm also so privileged to be able to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today we are thrilled to be able to interview Lieutenant Rich Paddock, who is Chief of Police Services in Aliso Viejo and he has another job. He is in charge of the Mounted Enforcement Unit for the Orange County Sheriff, and he has been with the Sheriff's Department for 32 years. Thank you for joining us, Rich.
1: Glad to be here, Mari. Thank you.
2: Well, this is very exciting because I've seen those horses, and they're gorgeous. Explain what the Mounted Enforcement Unit is.
1: It's a a unit that's comprised of about 31 members of the Sheriff's Department. Uh, Two of those members are full-time, Mari. They're uh, two of our trainers that uh, work at the James A. Music uh, facility in Irvine, where we maintain a uh, about a three-and-a-half-acre uh, mounted and canine facility. We have 12 horses that live there full-time, um, and those two gals that uh, work out there, Debbie Morris and Tracy Young, are both trainers, and it's their responsibility for the care, custody, and control of all those animals, including the veterinary work, the uh, feeding, the equipping, the grooming, and the barn facility itself. But what we do, to answer your question, is we uh, have a lot of different things that we do. Uh, some, are, some are operational and some are more um, uh, public relations centered. Our operational duties include crowd control, major crowd control. We often look for lost children. We patrol the county parks during events that have a lot of large uh, crowds for instance mother's day at irvine park uh, mile square park um, july 4th uh, we go to the schools and we do character counts in san clemente we have uh, um, we have a color guard that participates and opens many of the parades that you see in orange county we do a lot of neat stuff like that
2: well that sounds terrific tell us about a little bit about the training
1: the training is, is uh, critical any time that you're dealing with horses. A horse is a, uh, is a uh, on its best day, about as smart as a three or four year old child. And so you have to repeatedly work with the horse to get him or her to do what you want to do. In our case, of our uh, 31 members, uh, most of the people own their own horses and maintain their horses either at their home or an off-site equestrian facility. The 12 horses that I mentioned a while back um, are actually property of the county. And every month uh, we get together as a group and we train uh, at the uh, James A. Music facility in in Irvine. And then once uh, a quarter we get together with our regional mounted enforcement unit partners. And those are are the uh, Anaheim, Garden Grove, Buena Park and Santa Ana Police Departments. So we train a lot, a lot during the year.
2: Well, we're going to find out more next week because we're going to have you back again. Thank you so much for introducing us to the Mounted Enforcement Unit. We'll talk to you again soon. Rich Paddock.
1: Thank you very much, Mari. Nice talking to
2: you. Nice talking to you.